Then Samuel became old. He made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Not Ramah, charlatans, Ramah. Okay. <laughs> and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey, obey the voice of Samuel, and, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becheroth, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any other people. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. 
Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and he stood among the people, and he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, we are going to continue in our sermon series. Um, I'm asking for a friend. And so these are questions um, that I receive from you via email. Um, questions that are barriers of, uh, to faith, of, for, um, barriers to belief um, from people who are skeptical about Christianity because of the way we live it out. So we've covered some questions like why bad things happen to good people. We've discussed why Christians seem so hypocritical and exclusive. And um, so we decided, and I got this question in many different forms. Let me go ahead and tell you that. Um, some nice, some not so nice, um, about Christians and their politics, right? There's one place where the world has a hard time with us. It's the way we live out our politics, especially, and let's just go ahead, and I'm just going to let y'all know. Um, you know up here, I'm just going to tell y'all the truth, especially um, our church being in the PCA denomination. We are in a denomination that leans right, Okay? And so there are a lot of people who look at our church, our denomination, from the outside and say, no way, right? We know how those folk can be. Um, I'm not separating myself from it. I'm a pastor in it. Uh, we got a long way to go. We are a church that continues to grow and get better. And so let me let you know that this um, sermon um, is a tool for you. My job as the pastor is not just to get up here, preach, tell you what you need to know, and then y'all get happy and go home and forget it. But I'm here to give you what I think God's word tells you so that you can use it as a tool to engage your world, right? But the proper engagement of your world is not up here. It's here, right? So the issues we have in our politics, if we acting like jerks and fools and donkeys, or elephants, right, <laughs> or bulls, right, in our politics, it's not here, it's here. Something's wrong here, right? And I want to be fair, right? It's not just us, um, and we'll talk more about it, I think, next week maybe, but, you know, folk outside of Christianity, they ain't good either, right? So today, we're going to get dogged a little bit. Christians, we're we going to get in. 
a little bit. And last week I told you we kind of bit around the crust, like the edges, just eating the crust. Today we get a little deeper. And so I just want you to hang in here. Um, this is about us. And if you're not a Christian today, are you real critical of Christianity? You might like this one. <laughs> you might like it. Um, let me go ahead and tell you again. Um, don't start the clock yet because I haven't really started the sermon yet. The, um, let, let me go ahead and let you know right now. Um, I said it last week. Um, politically, when you start getting in this, there's issues of culture. There's issues of experience. And I have not experienced everybody's culture in here. Right? I haven't experienced everybody's story in here. I don't have all the angles. So I'm going to try to stay as close, to, as close to the Word of God. But like I said last week, if you look very closely, I am a black man. <laughs> so sometimes people don't want to hear my politics, especially like between 2008, right, and in 2016. I was written off a lot because, you know, oh, you're black. You're just pulling for Obama because he's black. Well, yeah, sort of, you know? Like, <laughs> why wouldn't I? I'm black. I guess my point is we have to be honest that this is part of our story. You just like Michelle and Obama because they're black. Yes. And I would love to hang out with them as a black man with a black man in the highest office, right? Why not? Okay. But the point is, I think it's, it's very important that we um, are honest, and I want to be honest with you. The angles I give you are not going to be culturally, oh, this is the multi-ethnic church, great, but your pastor can't do it, right? That's why we have Jesus, right? That's why we have the Word. And I have encouraged you, don't start the clock yet. This is a mini homily. <laughs> is, and I've told you guys, it's very important that you look beyond your Americanness, right? Some of us need to. Some of us don't need to because the story of meeting God's grace starts in this country because many were afflicted when they came to this country, right? Some of us, right, need to go beyond that and look at ourselves as immigrants who all came to this country and immigrated in one way or another. What's your story? Why have you fallen in politically the way you have? Right? It didn't happen accidentally. Okay, that was free. I'm probably going to say that next week, too. So as we continue our sermon series, I'm asking for a friend. We continue in answering the question of why Christians are so politically divisive. And again, this is part two. And last week, we kind of bit around the edges. And, and we talked about and saw how the Lord God himself has an interest and concern in the world's political scene. Y'all can start the clock. For someone to ask the question, why Christians are so divisive in their politics, assumes that maybe Christians should be different. Different than everyone else, right? Because like I said, there is no doubt that everyone is, has, and can be divisive when it comes to politics. But for some reason, Christians and their political activities stick out. It reminds me when I was young, I was a kid who got detention among a whole group of kids talking because as my teacher would say, I heard, and I've heard it a number of times, Howard Brown, I only heard your mouth. I heard your mouth coming around the corner. And now my boys say it to me when we go to restaurants and public places, Dad, you're too loud. <laughs> when I realize why that may be, if you go to my family, we're loud. 
It's all about a desire to not be rejected, right? To be seen, to control the conversation in room, to one-up. Yeah, 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 I heard that, but have you heard this one, right? And, and maybe because I was insecure or afraid, trying to keep up, fearing being considered and treated as insignificant, and I not only had to be louder, but more cunning and smarter and more moral, one-up, right? To just keep up and stay in with everyone else. Why are Christians so divisive in our politics? Because sometimes, let's be honest, we struggle with insecurity and inferiority. That makes us, this is a good explanation, why we rage holy war in almost every sector of the world, and sometimes that fervor is good. Y'all heard that? Sometimes the fervor is good. But oftentimes, all the world hears is the loud, insecure voices of Christians trying to drown out others, plowing into conversations, trying to run things with this air of moral superiority, fueled, however, by the fear that in this world, we might just lose. And this fear-driven approach to politics, you can take it or leave it. That ain't me. All right, fine. But just don't hate. Give it a chance, right? I ain't afraid. I know I'm right. Just, just chill for a minute, all right? And this fear-driven approach to politics is not new for people who follow the, follow the God of the Bible, Right? It is part of your, histor his your story. In, in fact, we are looking at a historical account that we read, long reading today, from, from the Bible that is over 3,000 years old when Israel, the Jews, God's first and original chosen people, went through their first political process in demanding and then choosing a king. The first king of Israel, King Saul. I know y'all try to skip him, go straight to David, right? Right? King Saul was the first one. And, you know, what we learn in that story continues to be the familiar flavor of Christian politics today. There are three things I want you to see. First, we see that believers use politics to escape their story. Right? Secondly, believers use politics to become like others. Second, finally, rather, believers use use of politics frustrates them frustrates them. So Samuel in the story, after whom the book is named, after he's a judge, and, which is like a tribal chief, a religious, non-voted on, sent by God, government kind of pastoral leader, he hears and speaks like a prophet, but, but maybe called upon to lead like a general sometimes. Well, judges were old school, and Israel was well aware of, these, of the success of other countries where, where, they were ha where they had this king system. And so they approached their current leader, Samuel, to tell him, it's time for you to retire. And your boys, they busted, man. We want to change to a monarch monarchy away from the judge system of government. And if you look at why these believers, these God people folks, wanted a change, it is clear that part of the need and want for this change is that they are rejecting and seeking to escape their story, their history, their heritage, their God-given identity. Look at verse 7 through 9 back in chapter 8. No, I got the wrong book. I'm in the New Testament. Hold on a minute. It's all one word, but it don't work like that. It says here, um, and the Lord said to Samuel, this is Samuel, he's disappointed. Now, I, let me tell you, I love Samuel. 
I love 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. The, the literary devices here are ridiculous. Like, this is the best written story as you look at it. Now, Samuel is hurt, not just for God. Samuel's hurt because we don't want you no more, right? So he, this is the third week we said this. It must be Drake, right? He all in his feelings, right? He just... He, he's just all in his feelings, right? And Lord, they reject me. And God's like, hey, don't make it personal. Don't get all in your feelings. They're rejecting me. Look at what he says in, in, in verse 7. Whoa. Man, that's some small writing. <laughs> it's the lighting. It's the lighting. Uh, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have re rejected me from being king over them. Now listen to what he says. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now listen to the voice and give them what they want. And then look at chapter 10 and verse 17 and through 19 what it says. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzvah. And Mitzvah is like the meeting place, okay? Just like the White House for the people, all right? The representatives come in and make decisions. Okay, at this point. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord God, the, uh, the God of Israel. Listen to this now. I brought you up, up Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the land of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamity and your distress, and you have said to him, set a king over us. And he says, now assemble yourself, let's do this thing. The Lord is saying that Israel wants to be political like other nations because they reject me. And what and how I have done for them and who I have called them to be. And it makes sense. Wouldn't you want to get rid of this identity that says you were slaves? Right? You were nobodies, a conquered and controlled people. No money, no power. And you have this invisible one God who simply chose you and delivered you, not through power or might, your power or might, because they were incredible warrior people, had great numbers, but because of his mercy. But because of his love for them. They were unwanted pound mutts and orphans. And God decided to feel sorry for them and not make them great. The story of Israel is never about God making them great, but making himself great, making himself honored through them, through how incredibly he loved them and treated them, which would in turn make them what? A blessed people. Y'all hear that? A blessed people. Not with an inheritance and a promise. Not an accomplished or powerful or smart or, or really awesome people on earth. And they didn't want to be blessed and promised and live according to the sob story or, or by a God who would cause them to conquer by grace, by miracle ways, right? By unorthodox where you can't show how right you were ways by God alone getting the glory and we feeling love ways and not getting the big trophy and all the cred ways and they didn't want that story because in the world those kind of stories are weak they wanted their story to be like everybody else's national 
political platform. Prowess. Of being privileged in a worldly way. Of, of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Of making it. Of, of working hard. Of voting. Of, of getting things passed. Of being privileged in a worldly way. And this king thing would begin that new legacy of acceptance for them and others around them. Things have not changed today for Christians. I hate to tell on us. The gospel is the same story. Okay, if you're not a Christian, if you hate Christians in here, if you're tied at a Christian faith, I'm going to give you some ammunition. We admit we, are, we were slaves to sin. That we were dead in our souls. That we were enemies of God and good. That we were an orphan, fatherless, unwanted, broke down, often bullied, nothing in this world. And God sent Jesus to save us, to redeem us, to love us, to be his, to go where he would have us go, to be our adopted father. But by grace, not because we're good people. Not because we were all moral and we knew the right way. No, the story of every Christian in this room, whether they're willing to admit it or live like it, is they were nothing. Enemies of God who hated doing good, didn't want to do right, sought after their own righteousness, and God just decided to, to, to scoop them up with his own choice, with his own reason, by mercy. That's it. There's no awesome story. There's no incredible plot where anybody in this room's a hero. Outside of God saving you. Not because we have some political theory that's awesome. And the irony is sometimes politics, getting into politics like the world does, can be a way, hear me now, can be a way to shed and shadow and augment that story of grace to give us just a little cred for being good, moral, and politically powerful people too. But that ain't your primary story. And yet you're trying to live it. Which means it is easy to have an inferiority complex and jealous of the way and story of unbelievers. Not because everyone else is not a sinner and broken and orphaned from God, but because Christians have been called and made a decision to own that story. And living in this world and among its messages of market and marketing of what greatness and wholeness and being something is. Sometimes believers, like a whole nation did 3,000 years ago, seek to use politics to ironically escape and strengthen and secure their story and identity in Christ. So sometimes, it's not enough to be righteous by faith. We want the power of being right. It's not enough to be free in Christ. We want the power of being liberal. And Christians using politics to escape and cover or augment their heritage and their identity is a drive to be like the world they live in. Now, a common understanding for believers all the way from back then to now in this scripture is that God's people are in this world, in its cultures, in its systems, nations, and all that, even participating 
but there's this like hair-splitting thought that they're in it, but they're not of it, right? They're like a nation of people, a spiritual nationality within a nation, like having dual citizenship, where your Christian one is more important than the temporary one you have in, this Amer- in America as an American citizen, for example. And so when believers say we want to be like others, it is not always a good thing. And that is exactly what happens here. Look at verse chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. Look what he says here. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to judge us. What? Like all the nations. And then in verse 19 and 20. In chapter 10, they do it again. They just outright say it, right? They say, now today, but today you have rejected your God, Samuel says, who saves you from all your calamities and your distress. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin taken by Lot. That ain't the right scripture. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, sorry. Back to chapter 8. All right. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel after he warns them about the king. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go, go out before us and fight our battles. It is clear that they want to become a monarchy with a king to rule over them. But why? Just because it's a good political decision? No, they want power. They want power in this world, like the world. And when I say power, it would mean they want to be able to personally and corporately take the wheel from Jesus a little bit. They want the God be my co-pilot blessing. (laughs) Y'all, it's so hard because I live in America too. I love the country, and you know, what it seems to give, right? But sometimes we want the power to pursue prosperity and control and conquer like everybody else and have security measures and financial stability like the people, world and nations around them to have rights like everybody else. And yet when you read Christianity, you read the book, it's about how we can find more and more ways to give up our rights, but we're not getting into that this week. We want to be like the people, world and nations around them, through a king, through a human representative who would fight for what they wanted. Dare I say it? We want a political party or representative who will fight their battles, our battles, in the political and national arena. And not that there's anything wrong with the systems of government and representatives and all that. God himself uses them as a pawn in his purposes. But they wanted it. It's revealed right there in the scripture because their God was not showing himself powerful enough in the way they wanted him to. They wanted control. Instead of feeling powerless and trusting in God's power to deliver them, let me tell you, things were crazy and unpredictable in the ancient Middle East back then too. It was unstable. These folks lived in a war-torn part of the world. They wanted to control their circumstances and desires and morals better, better than the judge system that broke down and got all corrupt. But the world, 
the kings, right, were getting things done, man. They were kicking behinds and taking names and taking over. While in Israel, you know what Samuel was saying? Let's pray, y'all. No! We tired of praying. You know what happens as a believer? You get tired of being a people, people of faith. I'm on action, man. Let me find the right politician. Let me find the right platform. Let me find the right conservative issues, and I'm going all the way, and I'll pray afterwards. It's easier to pray for forgiveness later, act like a fool first, right? Because I want to win. And everybody in this world is winning. They, they win in all kind of evil ways. Well, it's time for us to get a little dirty too. They going to shank people? We going to shank people in the name of Jesus, right? Ha, hallelujah. God bless you. <laughs> what? We are. That's what they're saying. Lord, we want a shank. We want a king. We want a weapon. Right? Look, Israel's were wanted to upgrade. They were tired of bringing a knife to a gunfight. These nomads wanted a power. They, they didn't want to live by faith in God. They wanted control. Face it, man. We all want a piece of the American dream and pie. We done given our money to it. We done paid our taxes. We want control. And we will even, like Israel did, beg God to send us a candidate, not ultimately for his glory, but for our ability to have a seat at the table to get what we want. It's hard to live by faith and waiting and trusting in God to fight your battles because we are tired of losing, getting beat up, and being poor and powerless. And, you know, there's another side of, of Christianity not so represented, of, of American Christianity not so represented in our denomination, of really poor and powerless people groups. Okay, so, and if you look at our denomination, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset necessarily, but, you know, for the most part, it serves a pretty privileged group of people. That's who makes up the PCA in large part. But let me tell you, there's other parts of Christianity, and folk are powerless. Okay, and they tie to that. So you have it come from both ways. The people with privilege say, we got privilege and we ain't losing it. Give us a king. And the people who don't have power say, we need power. Give us a king. But we're tired of getting kicked around. And so we pick a powerful winner. Look how Saul is described here. Remember the literary features here? Look, 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 look what happens. Look at chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 23 through 24. Look what it says here. So Paul, they finally get Saul out there. Then they ran and took him from where he was in the baggage. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Makes me think he had a long neck. But he was big. <laughs> Looked like a giraffe. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him? Look, listen to this, y'all. Do you see him? Right? Whom the Lord has chosen, there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. How can I put it? He was big. He was the rock. Right? I mean, he's probably just. You know, dude was CrossFit. You know, it's hard being a short man. Because I can do CrossFit too. And I can get cut. I used to be cut. But there ain't nothing cut like a, like a cut tall brother. 
So you come out, you got the mini version of it, and then you got this brother 6364, and he's the big version? Like, uh uh-uh. Right? I just decided when that happened, I decided to just go ahead and be a little Fred Flintstone chubby guy. That's all right. Christians in their politics, we want a shot at the political octagon. Our Christian values need a champion in this candidate or this party or whatever that can, or whatever can intellectually, emotionally, morally kick your candidates, but right? And we feel the power, and it gives us a high. Believe it or not, whether you're a believer or not, when our candidate is a winner, because it, it makes us a winner in this world's way, and that is way more rewarding than blandly being faithful. In large part, it's not just power. But going back to the story, we are, we are seeking to escape. You know, Christians want their politics to give them dignity and worth. Look again at Saul's description. Let's go back to chapter 9, because I like the way they say it here. Oh, yeah. There is a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, all these names, son of Zeror, son of, I wasn't ready, Bukharath, thank you, Amari, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. All right, y'all. He was a donkey farmer, I think, or something like that, Okay. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, again, he was taller than any of the people. Dude was pretty. (laughs) Pretty boy, right? From a good family. Dude was pretty and rich. What you do when you got a pretty boy getting out of a nice car? You know? Just like Idris Alba, somebody showing up. On a motorcycle. And say, Miss Brown, you want to ride on my motorcycle? And you know what Mr. Brown gonna do? Oh well. would go to. I'd be like, Idris, yes. I would go. Wouldn't you go? That brother looked good. I hope he's the next James Bond. He looked good. But dude was pretty. He was a luxury line upgrade from old Samuel and his trifling boys. He was pretty. He was beautiful. He was wanted and acceptable and needed. He was everything they thought they worked and wanted to be. The king was representative of who they wanted the world, the nation, the people around them to see them as, and possibly what the world had wrongly robbed them from. Or or maybe they said, look how ugly you are, Israel. And Israel always was getting teased for being a bunch of y'all only one God having slave history nomads. They wanted to be accepted and impressive and strong and tall, even in their good old-fashioned God of Abraham family value ways. They wanted what they believed. And why? To be acceptable and beautiful and powerful to the world. They wanted God's stuff, God's ethos, God's people, God's morality to be powerful 
and acceptable and sexy too. Right. Christians can be pushy and passionate about their politics because they want respect from the world. <laughs> they want respect for themselves and their God. And they, we, will sometimes become like the world to save the world, to save our world, to secure it. And sometimes we are standing for good things, ethnicity against sexism and classism and ageism and prejudice and ways we have been disgraced and bullied and mistreated is not beautiful or important. And out of that despair and disappointment with our story and our insecurities and sometimes mix it with a not a good relationship with God right now comes out of that, y'all, comes a political champion. Do you hear me? A political party, a political theory, a group of issues that stand as most important, that stand head and shoulders above everything else, and we fold our whole lives into it. Now, you'll say, no, I don't. I only, you know, I'm, I only vote her, blah, blah, blah. But when the argument comes up, some of y'all act like we're going to die if we don't win. If I say something politically wrong up here, you know how many emails I'm going to get? You know how many theologically off things I've already said? I never get emails about that. <laughs> I've already messed up. I already read something wrong in the Bible. I'm going to go tomorrow, look up in the, in the commentary. That ain't the right reading of it. Y'all ain't going to write on that. But if I say something about President Trump in the wrong way, if I call him 45 or something like that, I'm like, y'all, why'd you call him 45? That's disrespectful. Blah, 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 blah. But get it. Ain't it? I'm leaving the church. Y'all going to leave the church. Y'all going to quit the church, right? I'm not coming back here again over politics. I done messed up the Bible three times, and y'all ain't leaving the church because of that. So don't tell me you ain't passionate about it. If you want folk to leave the church, talk bad about their president. Not their identity in Christ. Because that makes you more beautiful. Me too. I get mad when I hear somebody talk about how great this candidate is, and I'm mad. I'm leaving the church. Right? I hate this denomination. I'm going back to the AME. No, I'm not. I'm right here. But what's confusing is this, y'all. <laughs> I'm try to, <laughs> this story's so hard, just like our politics. <laughs> There's God's soil. Let's just think about it as a garden. Like, here's God, God's soil. It's pure, it's holy, it's right. And you take what you want and you plant it in that soil. What if what you plant grows? we begin to assume that's what God wants because it prospers. They're confused, aren't they? If you look closely at the Scripture, he says, they say to Samuel, Samuel, go to God, tell him we want a king. So they're kind of praying to God through Samuel. You know what God says? They've rejected me, so guess what? I'm going to give them that king. I want you, look at the scripture closely. I, I want you to listen, not to my voice. Listen to their voice and give them what they demand. 
Here's the hard part. They're at mitzvah. Mitzvah is like going to church, okay, for them, because it was a theocracy and God's in the middle of it, and so they have a mix. There's no separation of church and state at this point, and they're in there, and they bring Samuel, and they say, long live the king, as in, thank you, God, for this king. I'm sorry, long live the king. Thank you, God, for this king, for King Saul. It looks right. He stands for everything they wanted. He's finally going to make Israel win. And God lets them have it. When he's finally brought forward, the Bible says that they can't find him. And in verses 20 through 24 in chapter 10, it says that where is Saul? And he's among the baggage. And they bring him forward and they vote. They're like, yay, this is our guy. What? Look at that guy. Let's go for him, right? Do you know, okay, literary stuff all the way around. But for Saul to be among the baggage and be brought out like that in that situation, he was a judgment. He was a judgment. Not God's choice. God chose him, but he was not um, what God would have for his people. The reason I'm saying this to you is, you know, the final point here I want to make is that <laughs> believers' politics will always frustrate them. And I can't get into a whole story, Saul, but I encourage you to continue to read. But this candidate that stood head and shoulders above and all pretty and all they believed and wanted became a nightmare for them. He ruined their relationship with God. They were caught out there, th they believing in him, and he went the other direction. I mean, even look at verse 25 through 27 real quick. It says in chapter 10, it says here, Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the king. He wrote them in a book and laid it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one of them, Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. I'm not getting into that right now. But listen to verse 27. But some worthless fellow said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and, and brought him no present, but he held his peace. And, the, and then, then in chapter 8, and I can't read all because it was a long reading. Um, in chapter 8, verses 10 through 18, you have this list, and God says, please let them know what the king's going to do to them. They're going to have to give, they're gonna, he's going to tax them, he's going to take the people, he's going to enslave y'all. So y'all think the ta that, that this king system is going to be good for y'all, it is actually going to enslave you. Yeah, 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 we want a king anyway. Why can Christians be so politically divisive in argument? Because they're frustrated, we are, to death, that our politics won't satisfy us. It won't do all we want or thought it would for us in our world. And it sometimes, listen, oh my gosh, it's terrible. Sometimes our candidates and parties that we've backed and even put little scriptures under for why, Come back and embarrass us and shame us. And when our non-Christian friends even come back and say, why did you support this? Look at what this person does. We get mean and argumentative. 
because we're embarrassed. <laughs> we're ashamed. God has promised in particular to his people in this world, guess what? Dissatisfaction for things, politics included, to not be enough, to never be enough. In fact, this king rule would, idea would end up being just like why they rejected Samuel. We don't want you, Samuel. You're old and your boy's acting corrupt. Guess what? They end up in the same place with the king. Here's what makes Christians so tenacious again in their politics. Christians, we know the freedom and truth and promise and holiness and power of God and the word of God, and we are trying so hard, y'all, to squeeze God's kingdom vision inside a more politically acceptable and potent mold, and it is not going to hold. Do you understand? It, whatever it is, will fail under the weight and pressure of being coronated or crowned God's candidate or God's political party or God's political platform or God's most important issues. I don't care how tall it is. I don't care how broad the shoulders are of your thing. It will not hold God's kingdom. How true. The church and its people, whether on the right or on the left, have put too much weight on their political leaders and political systems and laws and who the Supreme Court justice choices are. Oh, if we just get the right Supreme Court justices, we'll be safe. How do you know that? You try to make the best choice. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not cutting against that. I think that's right. But for it to be so important to you that you're going to be mean or upset or shut down or angry or leave a church or have to make excuses for a candidate that, you know, yes, God holds those people responsible. We're responsible for being good citizens and all of that. But we can't put what we feel God gives us on the shoulders of somebody's campaign promises. Promises. Politics in this world will never satisfy and be enough, and it will never give you enough dignity or enough power or enough love for the world. And unfortunately, we think that we just need to give it more of our heart when it could use more of our prayers to God. I don't think y'all live there. I know y'all. Y'all don't live there in this kind of, I mean, I, I, okay, I better not say all that. Well, I, you know, I have these friends, and at Christmas, and this may be cultural, so please, I, I expect to receive some emails. All right, so, but at Christmas, they put up this picture of Santa Claus, an eagle, an American flag, and then the nativity scene in one picture. And it has some kind of American theme to it. And I'm thinking, how does this happen like this? What's that Nick got to do with it? He was at the council in Nicaea. Maybe that's it. Right? I, I, I don't know. But Sometimes that stuff gets twisted. You, you, you look, black people, 
Some of us got the Last Supper with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King on it. You ever seen that? And Jesus, sometimes he got an afro. Come on, y'all. What Malcolm doing in there? Maybe he got saved at the end. Like we got our own righteous. Whitney saved, Malcolm saved, everybody saved. Just like Elvis is saved. Everybody. Anybody who sang a Christian song is saved. Anyway, I'm getting off. Oh my gosh, I'm getting off. But we try hard to syncretize it. It won't hold. That little black people last supper, that ain't thing ain't a hole. And you got the trifling crackhead looking brother in the back. That's Judas, right? Right? That's Judas. Which one is Judas? That's the one right there. You know where the frustration actually comes from in our politics? God himself frustrates the system. You know why? He is not, if you're a believer, and this is his grace at work, y'all. He's not going to let you lose or forget your story. He will not let his people be taken by any force or power or political movement where they aren't looking to him and saying, we need you. This failed me. This can't contain me. That'll bring you back to point one, right? We broken. We orphans. Oh my gosh, we acted like orphans again in our politics. We need you. There's a reason why he says when that king comes into power, I won't hear your voice. Because the voice he will hear is the voice of Christ calling out on behalf of sinners. What's the application, I guess, real quick? <laughs> Practice some humility. Go ahead and live through the suffering of your politics embarrassing you. You know, the one question I got straight out, and this is not me coming down on anybody, was how could a Christian vote for President Trump? Somebody asked me that. And the person asked that question assuming that somehow Trump had disgraced so many on the right wing. How, what percentage of evangelicals voted for him? What was it? 80%? 80%, 90%? 90 So whatever. It, it, was a, it was more than half. Most evangelical Christians voted for him for various issues. I'm not here to talk about the value of those issues or whether that was bad or good or the percentage is good or bad. I'm not getting into that. But I want you to know this. No candidate is not going to bring shame or embarrassment to what you stand for and the story God has given you. It's okay to say, I voted for him for these issues. And I'm embarrassed at a lot. Had to say that with 44 too, right? 
43, 42, let's just keep going. I voted for this because I thought this person was going to do this. And I think these values are important. Great. But I am humiliated by the way the kingdom is not being carried in this way. So I continue to cry out to my God through Christ Jesus. That's the story the world needs to hear. That, yeah, you vote. Yeah, you hold these values. Yeah, you hold these morals. But the Lord Jesus Christ holds the kingdom. Now you're telling the story of the gospel. We're called to participate, called to be in this world. But guess what, y'all? The world cannot satisfy. And you need to know that, my friend, as I argue with you on Facebook. <laughs> the reason I'm arguing is my politics frustrates me. It made me a loser again. Right? It betrayed me again. But my identity is in Christ. We'll look at that a little bit next week. I think I'm going there next week about, look, the reason we have a hard time in politics is because politics don't like Jesus, man. It doesn't. He don't want to be nobody's political leader. He rejects it all. He says, it's me. I'm doing me. And as I do me, everybody is blessed. So we'll look at that next week. Um, so Because I, th I think there is some real um, issues with how this world treats Jesus. They don't like him. I have a hard time with him too. I like to be purely political and get in my argument, my theories, especially late at night or early in the morning, I'm out be running. And somebody, what about the Bible? Oh, Lord. The Bible and Jesus? Oh, he messes everything up. All right, let me pray for us. I think I'm going to stop there. Let, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. We do thank you, Lord, for how you mediate your blessings through leaders, through the government, how you even seek to give us common grace through our government through our leaders, and we saw that last week. But Lord, help us not to seek our identity, our hope, our faith, Lord, our passion. And what will not satisfy you or satisfy us? Help us to be kind to others. Humble us in the middle of this frustration and dissatisfaction with any leader we get. Humble us. Let our frustration, Lord, no longer lead us to fighting and warring and being loud and mean and surly and trying to win arguments and show people how wrong they are. But let it lead us to our knees once again to one another, to humility, to a need for King Jesus, your candidate, your choice for King to come. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.